What's up, everyone? This is episode number 32 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And I want to start off this week by thanking those of you who gave your feedback on the show's first ever listener forum episode, um, which was last week's episode. Just a reminder, my Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Had a number of you reach out on both of those channels, so thank you. Um, also, I want to extend a big thank you to the four guys who participated in the episode itself. And I'd like to try a few similar things in the future. You know, I think it's good to break my voice up a little bit every now and then. Um, so anyway, I got a number of responses, and I just wanted to say thanks for sticking with me as I tried something new. Okay, so as for uh, life in the hobby world, we had a couple of big events in the hobby this week. Not surprisingly, as we edge closer to the season, both of them were Zion-related. The first one was a product release, and the second one was a Forbes article. So I just want to run through those real quick before I get to my main topic for the day. So the first one, the product release, was the new Immaculate, which was the college version, and As far as my first impressions, and this is full disclosure here, I'm not a big fan of college basketball. I'm not a big fan of college products. However, if I'm just looking at the the product itself, it definitely is a loaded product. Um, I've seen some really stacked boxes. I think I saw one that had like six RPAs in it. I saw one today on Facebook that had two Zion RPAs in it. Um, And the cards look really good. If you're into memorabilia, uh, there's a lot of jumbo pieces. There's a lot of really nice patches. A lot of, you know, there's different things. There's hats. There's jerseys. Um, So there's some good-looking stuff. I will say, uh, you know, it also looks like they made sure to load up on the top players. And you can find a nice detailed breakdown of the checklist on a website called 130point.com. That's 130point.com. Talked about them a little before on here. But there are... Five players at the top of the hits list that have around 380 hits each. And, of course, Zion is included in there. And then after that, there's another seven or eight that are in that 350 to 370 hit range. And from there, there's a big drop-off. So it seems very similar to last year's National Treasures, uh, the pro release, where they're loading up on the big names to try and move the product. Um, For those of you that are buying to collect, though, this seems like a pretty good buy. There's a lot of really nice-looking cards. You know, a chance at getting one of the bigger names as well. For those of you that are purchasing for value, well, um, I'm not convinced that this stuff will hold its value. I've already had a friend say to me, you know, I can't believe I'm not getting more bites on my R.J. Barrett listing. Well, the problem is that there's already so much R.J. or really, you know, substitute any player there, stuff on the market already from just this one product alone. So if I'm busting this stuff to flip, I'm selling it now before the market becomes even more saturated. Um, You know, get it out before another big product comes out. Get it out while the product is hot. You know, unless you have a guy that's selling for next to nothing. Um, that would that would just be my strategy. Like I say, though, it's a great looking product. Looks like it was a fun rip. Uh, but these are just my opinions. If you're on the fence about busting this product or, you know, maybe you've busted some already and you don't know whether to hold or sell, examine everything, study the market, study the checklist at 130point.com and figure out what works best for you. Uh, the second thing that I want to talk about real quick is an article that Forbes published last week titled, How Zion Williamson is Lifting the Trading Card Industry. 
And for those of you that follow cards, which I'm assuming is everyone listening, there really wasn't anything new for us. And that's not a knock on Forbes, or the, and that's not a knock on the, you know, the author of this article. Uh, but we weren't the target audience. Uh, the main thing to note here, though, is that our hobby is getting some more mainstream exposure. Some people like that. Some people don't. Uh, yes, it can drive prices up. Uh, but, you know, we also need to consider that maybe it will bring more younger collectors in. Um, not that they're reading Forbes, but maybe their, you know, their, their fathers or mothers are reading Forbes. Anyway, this article just it sums up his endorsement deals and then has a few quotes from a Panini rep. Uh, not surprising, but they're, they're talking this year's products up quite a bit, uh, as they should. Um, but, you know, we'll see how this plays out. And um, before I move on, I, you know, I've had a lot of people that have been asking me what I think about the upcoming season in the hobby. Um, I, you know, I get this question a lot now, so I figure I'll just address it on here. Uh, I also referenced it a little when I was on the um, Let Me Get That Potograph show. And I, look, I don't want to put a damper on things. I don't want to affect your outlook on the coming year. So like I said, this is just my opinion here. Um, I'm Personally, I'm not super excited about where things are going. Prices are going up, production's going up. Um, short term, it's a pain because the hobby's more expensive. Uh, long term, it you know it doesn't bode well for value either because I think the market's going to drop on some of this stuff. Um, but you know, regardless, my plan all along is to find ways to enjoy the hobby on my own terms, and that's going to be the key this year: find a way to enjoy the hobby on your own terms. Um, and what I mean by that is this, when everyone zigs, I plan to zag. You know, when everyone's picking up the shiny stuff, I'm going to find something else that I've always been interested in and see maybe if those things will drop a little bit um, and pick some stuff up while there's not a lot of attention on it. Because I think one thing that's definitely going to happen, uh, a lot of the stuff that already has a lot of eyes on it, you know, we're going to see prices go up across the board. And I'm not just talking unopened wax. I talked about this in my group break episode a little bit, but when people are pouring a lot of money into opening their products, they're going to try and squeeze even more out of the other hits to help soften the blow. And as someone that buys a lot of singles on the secondary market, a lot of times I try and wait some of these sellers out until cards get closer to prices um, that I feel they should realistically be at. And in fact, I think that was the number one lesson that Steven talked about as part of uh, the listener forum on last week's show. Now, the problem is, all it takes is one impatient buyer to set an unrealistic baseline. And I say that from experience. Um, experience is a great teacher, but there are times where it's great to learn from other people's experiences. So here's an example where I've been that buyer before. Okay, um, There's a pretty tough NBA Finals patch set from 2000, and I've been working on it for a while. Okay, And this one sticks out to me because it's the Pacers only NBA Finals. So several years ago, I saw one that was listed on Probstein with a patch that I really liked. It was a Sam Perkins card. And I put in a ridiculously high bid. Well, much to my dismay, it ended ridiculously high, and I won. Um, not that I was upset to win the card, but you know, you always kind of cringe when it actually goes to your high bid, right? And uh, remember, that was several years ago. And every since then, pretty much every other card that's been listed from that set has used that one comp as a starting point for any potential sale. And that doesn't mean that other people are buying at that price. Well, um, when I was at the National this year, I saw one a card from that set that I wanted. And I think the seller had something like $170 on it. 
And to put things into perspective, I purchased another card from the set of a similar player for $40. And there's a lot of difference between $40 and $170. Eventually, we were able to meet somewhere in the middle, but I felt like it took away any leverage that I might have had in a deal from the very start. And I know that's an example of a card that's almost 20 years old, but the principle's the same. Once that initial sale had been established, other buyers and sellers of the same card are pretty much confined to a value in that range. And that's not necessarily a Zion-specific fear, but if he continues to drive up the suggested retail price on these products, um, that's wax, and that's the secondary singles market, that's everything, it will trickle down to everything else that's getting attention. Um, And that's something to look out for. So anyway, that's kind of how I'm feeling about this year. Just be patient. Um, Look for ways that you can enjoy the hobby. What I want to talk about today, though, the main thing that I want to talk about is a company called StockX. And some of you have probably heard about them this week. Um, This is a company that's already an established market for other collectibles, and they're looking to branch into sports cards as well. My plan for today is to give a little bit of background about that company. Um, I want to try and detail the logistics they have in place for their card platform now. And then I want to close by talking about some ways that this could either help or hurt the hobby. I want to try and give you both sides. So let's jump right in. Okay, so what exactly is StockX? Um, If we start with the website itself, because I like to try and give them an opportunity to define themselves. They describe their company as the stock market for things. And one look at the site though, and it's obvious that even though they say things, there's a pretty big emphasis on sneakers. Um, And they also have a large graphic that promotes the fact that transactions there are anonymous, transparent, and authentic. But what do those transactions look like? Okay, well the whole concept of StockX is to create a marketplace for collectibles that functions similar to a stock market, hence the name StockX, where a seller can post a product and put out what's called an ask, which is the same thing as their asking price, um, and at the same time, people who are looking to buy a product can sign on and place what's called a bid. And a bid is essentially a price that they're willing to pay for a particular item. And you, you hear guys, um, you know, when it comes to buying and selling anything, but a lot of times with cards, talking about what they'd pay for things all the time, but on this platform, it actually locks it in. If they say they're going to do it, they're bound to that. They have to mean it. Uh, Now, in this stage, it doesn't matter if an item is actually on the market already or not, but if a buyer wants something or if they're looking for something, they put out a bid. Once a particular product is matched up then and an asking price um, and a bid finally match up, the deal is made. And the seller sends the item in to StockX. If it's shoes, which you know they've done quite a bit of business in already, uh, and I'm assuming it's the same for the other goods, but the company authenticates them. And once everything checks out, once they determine that these shoes are legitimate, they mail the goods to the buyer. To me, it looks like the idea is for the company to function as a middleman and to give both sides a heightened level of protection. Now, despite the emphasis on sneakers, um, I used the term goods earlier because over the last couple of years, StockX has expanded to include watches, um, handbags, streetwear, and now, starting this last week, sports cards. So, And that's why we're talking about it here. So that begs the question, how will their card platform work? Um, how will it function? Is everything going to be the same or does it require tweaking? Well, 
The website itself breaks down the buying and selling processes into three simple steps, and it's very similar to what they're doing with shoes already. You search the card and you list if you're a seller. Um, Then the ask and the bid prices are set on both ends, and then you let the website do the rest. Now, if you'll remember how they handled shoes, once a match has been made, they receive the shoes and do the authenticating themselves. Well, that's not the case with sports cards. According to the website, as of right now, all trading cards that are being bought and sold on StockX, um, quote, are graded and verified by PSA or BGS, with BGS coming soon, so you always know you're getting the real deal, end quote. And I'll talk more about this statement later. Um, some people have already noted that this is very similar to another website called The Pit, which is true, except this venture seems to have more backing behind it. Um, so, you know, maybe it will stick around. And if that's the case, then we need to ask, how could something like this actually help the hobby? I think that's the next realistic question. Um, first and foremost, I think some people are progressively tiring of other platforms like eBay or ComC. You probably have seen that um, in the last week or two, eBay um, is starting to charge sales tax for another group of states. And I lucked out on this. Florida's not included yet, but um, I know that our day is coming. So some of you, you know, if you're purchasing a big card, that sales tax is a pretty big deal. And that's even what we talked about in with when we talked about PWCC. That's one of their selling points for the vault, right? Is that you don't have to pay sales tax. Well, if you're paying for a card that's, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, that's a pretty big deal. Now, those other platforms and websites, you know, like eBay or ComC, like I said, some people are getting tired of them or um, tired of some of the things that are going on with them. You know, they have their advantages. And should StockX prove to be a viable option, you know, I'm sure this website could too. And there's the thought that um, provided there's enough cards moving in and out, and that's a a stripped down version of uh, or definition of liquidity, a concept that I'll refer to again soon. This could help determine the actual price of cards that are traded consistently. So that could be a benefit to this site. Um, So that would be like your Prism Silvers, your Optic Hollows, and so on. And for people who are into sneakers, apparently this site has been great for compiling that information and making it readily accessible. So there's less room for the shilling and the consigning and manipulation and all that. That's At least that's in theory. Um, now, someone on Blowout pointed out that even with the, seat, with the fees, this site could be a huge help for sellers. And one reason that they pinpointed a real big one was buyer's remorse. And if a card is purchased when a player is hot and then he cools down, the, the buyer can't just return the item and label it as not as described, which we've seen happen a lot with sports cards lately, um, especially on eBay. You know, you get a guy that's hot for a week, everyone jumps the gun, they buy his cards, then they realize, you know, maybe things have come back down to earth and they want to return it. Um, you know, and that's not really fair to the people that are selling. Um, this person on Blowout also pointed out that the website eliminates the possibility of people claiming packages or envelopes, um, claiming that they were empty upon receiving the card. Um, another benefit that someone mentioned is that it could bring more people to the hobby in that other users are already familiar with the platform. There's not a lot of research required for someone that's new and taking that route. And um, as I was reading through some of the discussion for this platform, one person that seemed very receptive to the idea overall, they did, however, point out 
that the website is not completely in line with what it would need to be for a card selling platform, but the technology is there and it's an amazing tool. So then the next question would be, well, what obstacles exist right now that might prevent it from being in line, which was the terminology this person used. And this brings us to some of the initial criticisms or concerns about the platform. Now, I will start off by saying I think some of the issues that people are already really concerned about will work themselves out over time. Um, one of them is liquidity, which, you know, prices right now are really high and they won't settle, you know, until more of the same cards get listed. That's common for any marketplace. So I'm not going to spend time on those kinds of issues. But there are some other major um, flaws that um, probably won't correct themselves and need to, and you know should I feel should be addressed by the company. Okay, um, to start off, even before they started selling cards, um, there have been some components of their business model that were questionable. So um, in August of 2019, so that's just two months ago, StockX pushed out a password reset email to all users, with the stated reason being that there were new system updates. That's the way they phrased it. Well, the fact of the matter was they had been hacked. And according to an article on TechCrunch, someone claims to have stolen over 6.8 million records. And after all of this, StockX refuses to provide any specifics. Well, when it comes to sensitive information like that, people deserve to know the truth. And they should know the truth. And it's not like people are digging up mud from the early days. Like I said, this was just two months ago. Okay, so that's one issue. Um, another major issue comes with the authentication aspect. With shoes, they seem knowledgeable enough to authenticate the item on their own. Now, they've made mistakes before, but they seem to do a pretty good job with that. And if you're a sneakerhead and I'm wrong about that, please let me know. I, you know, I've read up as much about this as I can. I don't collect shoes, though. Okay, that's not my wheelhouse here. Um, but everything that I've read so far is good. For cards, they're relying on the grading companies. And some people think that this is simply to absolve them of any responsibility. You know, I agree with that. Um, if the grading companies functioned as they should, this is probably a good route. And, you know, I would say it's probably the best option they have. However, as anyone that's followed sports cards in the last year knows, these professional companies struggle to do simple things like log serial numbers and measure cards. And there are plenty of places to go if you want to read or hear about all the corruption of these companies and the flaws of these companies, including this show. I've had several episodes on grading already, so I'm not going to go on and on about that. Um, there are all sorts of theories about what has and what hasn't happened with these companies, but we know for a fact that a good amount of altered cards have passed PSA and BGS. Uh, we know that there are fake slabs. I talked about it in the Jordan episode. Even Dave and Adams got tricked on that one. But with the way that this StockX model is currently set up, it looks like it could provide a really um, convenient outlet for crooks and uneducated buyers to dump their dirty cards. Uh, and I mean, as far as we know, the criteria for submitting is simply, is it slabbed? You know, yes or no. Okay, it is. Good. We'll take it. Um, so just like we've seen with some of these other consigners or platforms, be it eBay, ComC, PWCC, and so on, uh, people are inevitably going to get burned. Okay, so, you know, we, and I'm not saying that StockX is intentionally going to do that to people, but it that stuff happens, right? So what happens here if someone gets burned? 
Um, once again, I try and refer to their website anytime I have questions. I'd like to hear from them. Um, so if you go to the help icon on their website and search returns, you'll find the question, are returns or exchanges allowed? Now remember, as a seller, um, the fact that people couldn't just up and return things made this platform all the more appealing. But if you've got some questionable sellers, you're not going to like the company's answer. Okay, here's what they said. Due to the anonymous nature of our live market, we are unable to offer refunds, exchanges, or swaps of any kind. The good news is you can always resell with us if you no longer want your item. End quote. So, in other words, you're stuck with it. Or you have to pass it off to another unsuspecting buyer. The next major issue... Uh, or possible issue with their current model. And this is probably the one that frustrates me the most. Um, although I do understand why they're doing it. Is the fact that they're selling graded cards with stock photos only. And this might work well for sneakers. But it could be a disaster for sports cards. Think about it. How many of you have sold a, a Prism card on eBay or Facebook. Only to have someone return it. Because they found some small microscopic scratch or imperfection on it. Uh, it's one of the reasons I personally hate dealing with prison when I'm selling. And, um, you know, it seems like people, they want video of the card under light. They want pictures from multiple angles. You know, it's ridiculous. But we're picky about what we buy because condition matters, whether you're collecting or whether you're investing. Um, so last week uh, on my Instagram, I posted a picture of two LeBron James Topps Chrome rookies. And if you haven't seen it, go take a look because you really need to see the visual that goes with this story. So about a year ago, I was shopping for LeBron Topps Chrome Rookies and my price range was around $300 a piece. And at the time, you know, that could get you a PSA 8 if you were patient enough. And there were some nice looking 8s out there. So I waited and waited. It was something I, you know, I searched multiple times a day. I monitored all of them. I watched the ones that I liked because centering was a big deal for me. And I know my my wife got sick of me explaining the process to her and showing her pictures, but um, it got to the point where she would weigh in on a card's eye appeal as well. She'd say, no, that's an awful looking eight. Okay. So um, I finally found an eight that I really liked and that was listed on auction with a reserve. So I thought maybe I had a chance and maybe the reserve would scare some people off. This was one of the better eights, um, the better centered eights that I've seen. Like I said, I put a I put a premium on centering. So I put my $300 bid in and much to my surprise, I won. And um, so then once I got that shipping notification, I tracked it every day on my phone. You guys know that feeling. Um, the day finally came. Luckily, I recorded me opening the mailer on video. Um, and this is just a tip for those of you that are new to the hobby or those of you that get a lot of mail, you might want to set a value threshold for mail days that get recorded. It sounds kind of goofy, but um, that way if you end up with an empty envelope or something that isn't quite right or something that's damaged, you might be able to use the video um, to kind of argue your case, right? So that's exactly what happened here. I opened the mailer. I pulled out a LeBron PSA 8 Topps Chrome Rookie. So there was one in there, but something didn't quite seem right. The centering on this card was way off. So I thought, okay, maybe it's the angle of the picture. Um, but I thought for sure that it had been a flat scan. So I pulled up the auction on my phone, and sure enough, it was a different certification number. 
the seller had switched out the card for a much worse looking PSA 8. Um, I immediately messaged him and he admitted to using a stock photo because, and this is a quote here, he said, I figured a PSA 8 was a PSA 8. Well, first off, his other listings didn't have stock photos. So that was kind of a red flag to me. And then second off, he accepted my return without any sort of fight. So he knew exactly what he was trying to pull here. Um, so even though, you know, I didn't lose any money, I got my return, but I spent a lot of time studying different copies. I waited for this thing. I had to package it up again. You know, needless to say, not all PSA 8s are equal, and I was not happy. Now, all of that is to say that this website is going to use stock images for every grade, and you really have no idea what you're going to get. Um, why would you ever risk buying a LeBron Topps Chrome rookie here? Okay, now, I say this from a, pers- uh, from a collector perspective. Uh, this is where, you know, probably where people are going to dump all their cards that are overgraded. Um, this is where people are going to dump the cards with flaws. And this is where people are going to dump cards with faded autographs. You know, maybe the auto graded a 10 at one point and faded quite a bit over time. You'll probably never know until you get it and you're stuck with it. And this is going to be a major problem for people who buy the card and not necessarily the grade. Now, as I close out today, I want to look at uh, one more thing that I saw someone say. Um, And they said that a platform like this will separate people that are truly buying to collect and people that see cards as commodities. And look, um, there are many different definitions for collectors out there. I'm not going to try and, you know, create one sure definition. And I really don't know if this whole sheep versus goat separation is a good or bad thing anyway. Um, but I think we're also entering an era, and, or maybe we're already in it, where a lot of people are buying the grade and not the card. And that's not anything new. Um, and cards that people are buying for investment, well, maybe they don't need to meet the same standards. And they haven't quite come out and said this, but I think that's what StockX is banking on. And I talked with somebody that asked them about the stock photos not too long ago. Um, what did they tell them? Okay, so StockX said... For cards that are under $500, like a Giannis Prism, no one will care as long as the grade is a 10. Um, So StockX doesn't seem to be the only people that have noticed this. Um, And like a lot of individual sellers, it looks like they're trying to tap into this. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. Um, You know, it appears as if there's a market for this still. But I think that's something that you guys should be aware of. And when it comes to buying the grade as opposed to the card... I read a comment from a blowout poster that said, um, quote, I consistently see greening Topps Chrome PSA 10s sell for two or more times what I'd pay for them, but it's in the PSA 10 slab, so people aren't bothered by the greening. So with that being said, if you're simply looking to stock up on a common graded card in the hopes that a player will get hot in the future, StockX probably is a great option for you. Um, Now, I suppose if you're buying cards to grade, StockX probably won't appeal to you as much because the grading process is where you generally create your profit margin. With StockX as a middleman, that's just eliminated. Then there might be some of you that try, you know, kind of live by the motto when you see something sports related, I'll try anything once. Whatever you decide, whatever group you find yourself in, whatever objective you have in this hobby, and there's no one right way, I think you need to take a long, hard look 
at these potential flaws in StockX's sports card platform as it currently stands. Um, so those of you that have been listening, you know that in the past, um, I've talked about some of the major problems in the industry, or at least I've tried to bring them up and tried to create dialogue. We're still trying to get some of these companies to actually communicate with us. Um, so StockX deserves the same chance. We're not going to assume that they won't respond just because BGS or PSA or PWCC have completely ignored us. So on the StockX website, there is a section that says thoughts, feedback, um, email us at tradingcards at stockx.com. So once again, that's tradingcards at stockx.com. I will be emailing with my concerns about four main things, and that would be the user info that was hacked, um, the incompetence of the grading companies that they've aligned themselves with, their no return policy, and the use of stock photos. And I'm going to try and remember to post some of the text of that email on my Instagram, which is once again is at Wax Museum Podcast. If you guys feel led to shoot them an email as well, by all means do so. Um, at the very least, maybe you can tag them in some of the visuals that will accompany this episode on social media. You know, it'd be nice to get some answers from them. Trying to figure out, you know, how exactly will this platform work or can we tweak a few things or do they even need to tweak a few things? Okay, so like I said, just be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.